But I think the biggest lesson that I've picked up from talking to people is, and it's, and a lot of this stuff actually doesn't relate to property and it's around your mindset. Mm -hmm. I think it was Henry Ford who said, if you think you can, you can, if you think you can't, you can't. That's, that's really applicable to property development. Mm -hmm. If you, because it's really a mind game. It's around having the mindset of wanting to succeed and just finding a way to get through. So that's probably the biggest one that I've picked up. It's just having the right mindset around success and being committed to succeeding and finding a way through despite all the challenges and roadblocks that come up. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello, and welcome to episode number 30 of the Placemaking Podcast. I am extremely excited to share this next conversation with all of you today. Justin is a real estate developer with Prophecy Investing and host of the Property Developer Podcast located in Melbourne, Australia. Justin brings with him almost five years of experience in the real estate development industry, and he has been sharing his discussions with other developers in the Property Developer Podcast for over four years now. Originally started in 2015, the Property Developer Podcast was created by Justin because he saw a gap in podcasts geared towards property development and his hunger to learn more about developing and find out how to become a really good developer who's going out and talking to people involved in property development. He loved listening to their stories, and they all had such different views on developing properties that he thought it would be so great to share this with people. He also found that sometimes being a developer can be a lonely game. Your family or partner don't necessarily understand what is involved or what you're working on, and most people have a preconceived idea of what property developers are like. Hence, the genesis of the Property Developer Podcast. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the greatest lessons learned he has heard on his show. How he got started in real estate development himself from his first project, 20-unit townhome development there in Melbourne. And the path to understanding the mindset of real estate developers. As you will hear on the show, he brings tons of experience on the subject of real estate development and the various hardships that real estate developers see today. I think you'll enjoy his take on real estate development after speaking with over 70 guests on his very own podcast. So as always, if you have enjoyed this show, I would ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in the industry. There will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, Justin. Matt, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I am excited to have this conversation. I, I appreciate you waking up a little early on your side of the pond and then coming and joining me on this show. And uh, I think listeners will get a good bit of information from you. 
Oh, the pleasure's mine. It's nice to be on the other side of the microphone for a change. <laughs> right. Right. So let's get straight into it here. And, you know, you're the host of the Property Developer Podcast, which is where that initial mention came from. So why did you decide to start the Property Developer Podcast? And then, you know, before that, let's kind of get into your background and, and then, you know, that'll probably create the genesis for uh, or set the story for this uh, podcast that you've created. Yes. So I have a background in corporate communication and I worked in corporate for probably 15 to 20 years, did a business degree at university and then worked in corporate communication for 15 to 20 years. And when my son was born, that triggered me to start thinking about what I really wanted to do in life. So mm-hmm. I was looking around for something inspirational that I could do in the next phase of my life. And I quickly settled on property as being something, an area and an industry that I was really interested in. And I started reading up on property and investing strategies and ways that you could make money from property looking most likely at being an investor Mm -hmm. but that didn't the more i read about it and i realized it was probably a bit too slow for the for the growth that would happen and it didn't really suit my personality profile and my risk profile and then one day i was listening to a podcast as part of my research it was a property podcast and i heard a guy talking about property development And all the things that he was talking about really resonated with me. And it was at that point that the light bulb went off and I just thought, well, that's it. That's what I want to do. (laughs) So I ended up undertaking a mentoring course with the guy who was on the podcast and learned all about the process involved with developing and, and then got into property development, had a fairly interesting rocky start, but Long story short, and we can get into the long story, at some stage, my first project ended up being a 20 townhouse project in the outer suburbs of Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing that project, I was going around and talking to people who were involved with property developing to try and learn from them about what they had picked up, their tips and tricks or the lessons that they'd learned about property developing and any advice that they might have for me. And I was really loving those conversations that I was having with people. And I kept thinking, it'd be so great to record these conversations and be able to share them with people because there's so much gold in these, in these conversations. Right. So I had that idea kind of bubbling away in, uh, in the back of my head. And then, I was, um, and then one day I just decided I would do it. I would start producing the podcast. And that's what I did. I, jumped in, started recording conversations I was having with people that I knew. And then I was setting up conversations with other people in the sector and just asking them the kind of questions that I was interested in. And I figured other people would be interested in them as well. That, that um, easy, huh? Just like that. <laughs> just like that. Uh, and then, then the other part of it was also that being in property development and being a property developer at times can be something of a lonely game. Because there's not, nobody really understands the depth of the project and the issues and the challenges that you face more than you do. 
mm-hmm. perhaps, except for perhaps other developers who've been there and they know exactly what it's like. So I wanted to share some of my lessons and share a bit of my journey so that other people out there could not only learn, but could also um, appreciate that other people are going through similar challenges that you are. And if they need help, then maybe there's a resource there or they can reach out and say hello and, and get some help if they need it. That's awesome. That is awesome. So you, you decided to take a pivot there, um, kind of near your midlife where you were just like, you know what, uh, I need, I need a new calling or I feel like maybe this, uh, I, I don't know, you wanted to explore all your, your passions and, and decided to go the route of real estate. Did you know much about that before you kind of jumped into it or just through your research, you just got really interested? Yeah, I wouldn't really say I had any particular strengths in or involvement in real estate. In fact, my first property purchase was a development site, my first development site. So, and that was in my what early 40s. So before then, I'd never actually purchased a property before. I'd done help my wife to um, renovate a small business that she had and really enjoyed the transformational process involved with mm-hmm. that. So turning something that's tired and run down into something nice and fresh that was really appealing. You walk in and you get a great feeling. And uh, I've always enjoyed watching property related shows, seeing people, particularly ones that involved renovations or transformations. Mm-hmm. And I can always remember going into any kind of property and thinking, I wonder what kind of changes you could make here if you moved that wall, created a new bedroom, um, renovated the bathroom, whether that would, um, how much that would change the value of the property. So they were always sort of lingering in, in my background, but no particular background in development as such or real estate in particular. Wow. And then you just jumped straight in and started uh, learning everything you could, it sounded like. Yeah, well, my first project was a real learning experience, which any first project is. Mm -hmm. And I had originally started out only wanting to do a a smallish size development. So I was originally thinking of doing a a kind of four-unit site, so four townhouses. Okay. uh, And I... I hope our my your listeners don't get too confused with some of the language. I'm not sure whether we've got <laughs> no that crossover. That translates. With, yeah, we've got crossover with some of the terms, but I'm sure they'll be able to pick it up. But I was just going to do four townhouses on a on a on a suburban lot, so uh, subdividing the land and building four new smaller houses on there. Mm-hmm. And the more I got into that, the more I realised. If you could do a slightly bigger project, the returns were slightly better. So I then decided I was going to try and find a six-unit site, so a slightly larger block of land with a better return. And then while I was searching around for that block of land, I ended up seeing an even bigger block of land in the neighbouring suburb that was probably big enough to sit 10 townhouses on it. And so I decided that's what I would do. It was a bit bigger than what I wanted originally wanted to do, but I thought it's probably uh, just as easy to do 10 as six. <laughs> and so 
this was during 2013 when the property market in Melbourne was experiencing a bit of a slump. So I was able to pick up that site at a really good price. And also I had a quite a long period of time to be able to look at it because mm -hmm. the market was so soft and there weren't a lot of people that were interested in it at that time. It had gone to auction and been passed in, which means no one bid for it. And so it was just sitting, sitting there languishing. <laughs> waiting for you. <laughs> waiting for me. <laughs> and the reason that it had been languishing was because it was about a 3,000 square meter site. So I don't know what that is in square feet, um, Matt, but maybe you can run the calculations <laughs> for me. Yeah, I can, I can do a quick one for you. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a quite a large site and it was, it had a lot of substantial mature trees on it. And I think that scared a lot of people off because it really looked like that would stop you from putting a lot of houses on there. Cause quite often around Melbourne, you can have difficulty getting trees off suburban sites. Makes sense. But I found a way to get the trees off the site and to cut a, um, Cut a long story short, the 10 unit design that was submitted to council, they didn't like it. They, <laughs> of course. They'd recently, <laughs> they'd recently rezoned that area because it was close to the center of the town and they'd actually made it into a higher density zone. And okay. so they actually wanted to see more dwellings on the site. So they said they wanted to see more terrace style dwellings and a bit more density. So I had to go back to the designer, get the design changed so that we then had 14 dwellings on the site. We put four terrace style properties along the front and then had a mix of single and double story houses at the back. Submitted that thinking this should get their approval. And they came back again and said, no, we still don't like your design. <laughs> Wow. We want to see at least another four or five dwellings on the site. So I was sitting there scratching my head thinking, this is just getting way, way, way beyond what I ever wanted to do for my <laughs> first project. My six unit projects ballooning into something way, way bigger than I ever imagined. And so I ended up uh, getting a new architect and he came up with a new design where we had 20 townhouses in two rows of 10. So there were 10 at the back of the block and 10 at the front. Wow. We submitted that to the local council and they, they, they were delighted with that one. They said, oh, this is great. We love that. And, they, and I got a, quite a quick approval after that. So it was quite funny a funny when they uh, come up with the idea. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first project. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, you, you know, when you said four or six units initially. I was like, how did he, I, I swear he said 20 when he was, <laughs> so how did he get to 20? That makes yeah, more sense now. Huh? It's, uh, it's one of those stories when you, where you tell developers and they go, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more density. I like it. Yeah, yeah. normally it's the other way around. You end right? up going backwards. Yeah, usually they're asking you to concede. That's crazy. Yeah which is actually what ended up happening with me on my second project, but we might, oh, really? we might get to that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you sharing that story because I, I think it's interesting to see kind of that process and, um, you know, city councils 
can heavily sway decision uh, design decisions, and um, that is a perfect example. Yeah, Maybe not too not perfect. To get on my soapbox and go on and on about councils and how much they can influence or how much they do influence property <laughs> development because uh, you're ranting. I was going to say that's for another show. <laughs> that's where that would take recording. up a few. Like, yeah, I was going to say that could be a series. <laughs> uh, well, okay. And then, so, and then, to, and then to wrap up around starting the podcast. Sure. So, with everything that was going on, I wanted really wanted to share what I was going through and what I was learning along the way. So. I looked around and no one was doing a podcast dedicated to property development mm -hmm. anywhere in the world. And so I thought, well, I'll just start one. So I started, <laughs> the, started the podcast and it's funny because now I think there's at least four, five, maybe six podcasts around the world. There's certainly a couple in Australia that are dedicated to property development. So. I like to think I'm the, the grandfather or the you're father the, of some of those episodes. You're the trailblazer. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I've done a search myself initially. I was like, man, there's really, there's a lot of, you know, investing uh, podcasts, you know, on, on multifamily, single family investing. But there's really very few focused on real estate development so uh, yes, it's awesome exactly to get what i found that's yeah. exactly what i found as well matt it's awesome to have you on here to hear kind of your story because it's funny how similar the processes are you know from here to there uh and we're miles apart and it's uh you're on the other side of the globe and yet you know we're still dealing with the same issues so i think globally uh, anybody can really listen to these podcasts, you know, no matter where and, and still get something out of it for sure. Yeah. And I think that's probably a point for your listeners. If they're wanting to break into development or they're wanting to take their developing to the next level is that understanding the development, it is a process. It doesn't matter where you are. It matters where you are in terms in terms of what city council or municipality you may be located in, but there will be a process. There'll be a step-by-step -step process that you need to go through to get your permit or an approval, to get your building permit, to go through construction, to sell, to exit. You mm -hmm. just need to understand what that process is, that step-by-step -step process, and then you can repeat it each time and and then also know which people you need to have around you or with supporting you at each particular stage of that process. Definitely. Understanding the process, like you said, knowing the right people and, you know, subsequent projects in the same area should go a little quicker in theory, right? <laughs> uh, in theory, they should. But as I've learned, that's not always the case. So... <laughs> With my second project that I'm starting construction at the moment, or we've just started construction, I had the opposite problem that I had on my first project, and it was in the exact same municipality, it was in the neighbouring suburb, the same zoning, the same size, and I submitted a planning application to the council, this time for 19 townhouses straight away, because I thought, <laughs> well, 
that's what they wanted me to do last time. So I'll just do that again this time. And they basically said no. This time we had a lot of objections from the surrounding neighbours mm. to the development and they really kicked up a big stink and uh, we ended up getting refused for that application for that 19 townhouses. We ended up going to the a planning tribunal in Melbourne to have that reviewed, thinking that we'd be successful in getting that refusal overturned. But we lost that one. And so I had to go back in with another planning application, this time um, with a much smaller number. We started at 15 townhouses and ended up getting a, a, a permit for 14 after a bit of haggling. <laughs> uh, one difference. But that took two, probably two and a half years to finally get a planning, a per planning permit for that site after we first purchased it. So Wow. Uh, just goes to show how different things can be in pretty similar situations or similar locations. Just, just curious, what is the typical entitlement process timeline look like there in Melbourne or adjacent to? Yeah, uh, too long, Matt. Too long. <laughs> uh, it depends. It's supposed. It, it generally it takes. It depends on the size of the project. So a sort of smaller project, let's, let's say under, say, six townhouses, should take around six months. Okay. Generally, it's getting longer and longer in Melbourne to get a permit. So <laughs> I think for myself, I allow nine to 12 months at least, but it's taking longer than that these days. Wow. Just for entitlements? Just yeah, that's just to get zoning a permit or, to be able yeah. to develop. Yep. Okay. Wow. Yep which is too long because I was talking to a colleague the other day and we were saying to, to deliver a finished four unit site to market will take you at around two to two and a half years in Melbourne, hmm. which is it's crazy. Yeah. Particularly we have a growing city and we have a lot of people moving in or we did until we got struck down by uh, closed borders due to coronavirus. But mm -hmm. we'll be, continue growing again once all that all this passes. But that's just too long to, to bring a four-unit project to, to market, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and, and then projections to, to try to project what, what's going to be needed or wanted in that, you know, two to three years could be different. Than, I mean, yes, which is exactly know. what's happened with the, the project that's under construction at the moment. The market has completely turned around since when we first bought the site to where we are now. So much softer conditions and it just makes things pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. But what about what about in the US? What say for a small or a four unit project? What kind of timeline would you be looking at to get your approval and, and get it built? uh it depends so like we were talking before the call uh houston <laughs> you've been to houston not not too long ago uh houston's very development friendly um and something like that could probably go to construction in three months maybe mm. um That's fantastic 
you know, depending on zoning and everything, but even with, even if you had to rezone the property, you could probably do three to four months. And then say, if you go to Austin, uh, Texas, you know, or one of these other municipalities that uh, they're a little more stricter, there's a little more red tape, you're probably looking, you know, it could potentially be six months to a year for Mm. to go to construction. So, Yeah, I visited a friend in San Francisco and his dad is an architect. I actually interviewed him on the show, a guy called Kirk Miller. Mm. And I think getting developments approved and done in San Francisco is like another level altogether. Oh, yeah. I've heard horror stories. <laughs> oh man! I, so yes, you know, it depends where you are. Depend depends on the, the challenges that you'll face getting your permit approved and your project underway. Yeah, definitely. And like like I said, that could be a whole another series as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that, that might be yeah war stories from property developers <laughs> entitlement city councils. Or uh, I like I like how you guys call it planning tribunals. It's oh, it's yes. more of a planning commission here in most places around here. It's a, a tribunal. Oh, it's, That's, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's where a lot of projects end up going to have decisions reviewed. Yeah. Well, can we kind of come back to the podcast real quick? I'm I'm interested to hear some of the lessons that you've learned. You've interviewed over 70 guests so far on your show. And I was wondering if there's one or two lessons learned that you heard. If you, <laughs> and that's 70 conversations, that's going to be tough. But if, if there's one or two that you've learned that uh, kind of stuck out in your mind, uh, I'd be interested to hear those. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome speaking to people because I take away something from every discussion. There's always a little nugget of gold that I pick mm-hmm. up, a little lesson that you can learn from anybody that's done a project. And I just find that really, really valuable. But I think the biggest lesson that I've picked up from talking to people is, and it's, and a lot of this stuff actually doesn't relate to property and mm-hmm. it's around your mindset. Mm-hmm. I think. I think it was I think it was Henry Ford who said if you think you can you can if you think you can't you can't that's that's really applicable to property development mm-hmm. if you because it's really a mind game it's around having the mindset of wanting to succeed and just finding a way to get through so that's probably the biggest one that I've picked up it's just having the right mindset around success and being committed to succeeding and finding a way through despite all the challenges and roadblocks that come up Mm -hmm. Uh, the second one would also be around embracing the challenges so yeah it's not going to be a smooth process if you drew if you had a line from A to B, A being the start, B being the finish. <laughs> in developing, it's never, ever a straight line from A to B. Never. It's like a big squiggly line. Mm-hmm. And I think you, it's valuable to embrace all the challenges that come along the way. 
because they help you learn and they help you grow. And the more challenges and obstacles there are in the process, it's actually a barrier to entry and stops a lot of other people from getting involved. So Definitely. if you're able to solve those problems and push through those challenges, you can get into the sort of rarefied air of where there aren't too other many people operating. Yeah. So that's the second one. The third one is around having a vision. And so this is knowing what you want to achieve. So do you have a big picture vision around what you want to deliver for your projects and for your career? Because having that will help you push again, push through the challenges that inevitably come along the way. If you're just doing it for the money project by project, I think you might find you'll get burned out and you'll lose that inspiration along the way. And so having that vision, some of the, yeah, some of the, people I've spoken to who are doing the best things seem to have this vision around getting something big done. Right. Right. It was about then, uh, more than just, more than just the money. Like you said, it's, it's kind of um, creating that, uh, you know, that space for, for others and, and, you know, building. Yeah. I think when, I think once you get into your mid thirties, your early forties, you start, thinking about what you really want to do with the remainder of your life. And so you're looking for something that you can really sink your teeth into and really enjoy. Right. And build a legacy with. Build a legacy. And and, and that is one great part of property developing is that you are creating something tangible, mm-hmm. something that is going to be around for decades. And so it's something that you can bring from, just an idea to reality. And that's, it's a pretty amazing feeling once you're able to do that, once you've done it once mm-hmm. and you can drive past something that you, you made, you had an idea, you went through all the challenges and you got it built and you can drive past it and show people or just even, and just know yourself that you got that done. Mm-hmm. That's, awesome. that's pretty special. I think. Yeah, definitely. I cut you off. Did you have one more or do you have more? The other one is the importance of of the team that's around you because you really need a team to help you get a project done. There's just Mm -hmm. no way that it's just, it's physically impossible to be able to do a, a property development project on your own. You need a team. And so you're always looking for that A team. And having great people around you is going to really make your job easier. And that was something that I made sure that I did on my first project because I knew that I was inexperienced. And Mm -hmm. so what I tried to do and what I did do was bring on much more experienced people than me into, uh, to help me, to help me get things done. So an experienced sales agent to help with the sales, an experienced um, solicitor to help with the legals. And all these people had way more experience than me and I knew that they would be able to help me get across the line and help me with the many, many blind spots that I, that I had. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's also a very great point. The, just having that, that team of professionals that... Uh, I mean, there's no way you can 
grab all that knowledge. I mean, you have to, you have to outsource it and you have to understand where you're strong and where others are stronger um, in some, some aspects. So that's, I like that one. I like that one a lot. It's a people business. And um, like you said, you can't do it alone. Yeah, it's definitely a a people business. And I think that's one of the skills that you do need as a developer is that ability to work with people and build relationships because Mm -hmm. a lot of it is about relationships and helping, getting help from people to solve problems that you have along the way. And you can only do that if you've got good people and good relationships and people will go that extra mile for you. if you can work really well together. Awesome. Those are all great points. (laughs) And I always like to think of myself as more the conductor of an orchestra when thinking about property development. Mm -hmm. So you're the the guy up the front who's keeping everyone in tune. You're not the guy down there playing the violin or the, the cello or any of the instruments. You're making sure everyone's, in time doing what they're supposed to be doing rather than being down there doing everything. Right. I like the visual. (laughs) I'm just visualizing you right now, waving your arms in front of a bunch of engineers and architects. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a, it's, it's helpful to think that way rather than thinking you've got to be doing everything and solving every problem. Is that, I feel like that's hard for most people. Do you see that in your discussions of being able to release a little bit of that? Yeah, I think sometimes it's about knowing which problems you need to take carriage of and, Mm -hmm. and you need to work out how to solve them and also which ones you can push to somebody else to solve. Mm -hmm. Just say, listen, you got just come back to me with a solution on that. Right, because I just you can't solve every single problem on a project. No, nor would you want to. <laughs> that hurts my head just thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> there's just there's thousands and thousands of decisions that you have to make through a through a project. Mm-hmm. And some of them I don't even know what the solution is, particularly when you're getting into technical areas with say a civil design for a civil system or a structural solution to how you make your house frames, load bearing, all those kind of issues or the best kind of foundations to build on. I actually don't know what the answer is to those questions. (laughs) And you don't have to. No, I don't have to. (laughs) But if I trust my civil engineer and I suffer trust my structural engineer or whoever it is that has the answer to that problem, then I can ask them to give me the solution. Mm -hmm. Well, I was talking, I had another show on here uh, with the property manager or project manager for a property development firm here. Uh, It's actually in Chicago, but um, he brought on a good point that there's never any way you can truly know the right answer there's infinite answers to problems i mean there's you know if you put a eight foot ceiling in one place 
you know, in, in a, in one structure and then rather than a 10 foot structure or 10 foot ceiling, what is your price difference? Does it really matter? Does it, you know, you gotta, but then that affects something else and then you're dealing with all this. So it, it's really something you can't, you can't quantify all the time. And so that, that makes it tough to, to make those decisions sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes they're actually quite technical and quite complicated and it's very hard to, for you to know whether that solution is the right one or the most cost-effective one. Mm -hmm. And that's where it comes back to that trust and that relationship that you can trust that that person is coming up with the best possible solution for you in that situation. Right. Well, that makes sense. Well, and then the other the other point that I would make around developing is to decide what kind of developer you want to be, which goes back to the vision and the mindset. I think if you can figure out what kind of level you want to play at, then you can figure out everything else. So I like to use an analogy of being a sports player or a tennis player. You know, if you want to be a if you only want to be a B grade player, well then you can figure out how much practice you need to do to, to be a B grade player. Maybe you only need to practice two or three hours a week. But if you want to be an A grade player, well then you're going to have to step it up. You're going to have to do five, six hours of training a week, for example. Mm -hmm. If you want to go pro, well then maybe you're going to have to be doing three, four, five hours a day, doing some strengthening training, conditioning, as well as maybe bring on a coach. So you just got to decide where you want to play. And then stemming from that will be all the things that you need to do to be able to get there. Yeah, that's a good point. And you can always level up in the future if you want. <laughs> yeah, and which is what a lot of people do. They, they work their way up. Um, I probably wouldn't recommend doing a 20 townhouse project as your first project. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah when you uh, when you said that i was like man this guy knows what he's doing he started out with the 20 unit he knows what does he know that's that, that takes a lot of guts and yeah you'd... yeah it was funny going through it um again it came back to that mindset and i was just so committed to succeeding and getting the project finished that i just didn't let anything stop me despite mm -hmm. the many hurdles that were put in my way. I was just so determined to finish and that's what helped me get through. Right. Well, besides the structural engineering of the foundation, what's the biggest area in property development you're curious about and why? <laughs> I was joking about the first part. I know you're not. <laughs> Um, construction costs are always a big factor and something that I'm always interested in because that then leads to you thinking about methodology. How can you construct things differently? Um, and I know I don't, in the US, I think your construction costs are a lot lower than they are in Australia, but here mm -hmm. construction costs and time is just way too long. Um, and so I think there's a lot more that can be done around automation and I think there's more that's happening in the prefabrication area. So hopefully more of that will come along. 
can help to speed up the construction and bring down some of the costs. I know that there's they're starting to develop robot robotic bricklayers. <laughs> uh, can be quite time consuming and also costly. So it'd be nice to see some robots on site laying down those bricks twenty four hours a day. <laughs> so you're you're interested in construction technology and, and kind of where that's going, it sounds like. And yeah, how that would optimize. That. Yeah, and then uh, the other area is also just around buyer behavior in terms of what the decisions that people make around why they would choose to purchase a property that you're offering to the market. Mm-hmm. Is it about it that they like? What, what's their decision-making process? What are they thinking about along the way? Because here in Australia, when you're doing development projects, you have to do a lot of what's called pre-selling. So you're selling off the plan, which I think you do in the US as well. Yeah, it's it's not quite as common, um, but yeah, I've, I've heard of that being used. Yeah, so to get your bank funding to do your construction in Australia, you'll have to pre-sell a certain number of units in the project, usually some kind of percentage. So whether it's 50% or enough sales to cover the amount of debt that you want to borrow from the bank. And so convincing people to purchase your property off the plan, which is really just buying into an idea, is a really essential part of the process. And so mm-hmm. anything that you can do to improve that makes a really big difference on the speed that you can deliver your project and also the returns that you can make. So I'm really interested in, in that buyer behavior section of the project that's interesting Uh, can you just describe what that process looks like is that just uh, basically going to market with a blueprint of the layout essentially and just uh, kind of soliciting buyers just yeah that's in a nutshell that's basically it so you'll get your planning permit to build a certain number of houses and you get the floor plans approved from the council and the external mm-hmm. look of the building and then yeah you go to you go to the market and say we've got these types of properties here's the floor plans here's some renders of what they're going to look like here's how much it costs so can you please sign a contract to buy it and we will build it for you and deliver it in the future <laughs> Okay, so all all that is pre-bank financing, though. So you just have to cover the debt coverage from the from the bank loan with uh, before they actually actually grant you the loan. Wow. Yeah. So if you want to borrow a million dollars, for example, to build build the properties, then you would need to sell. The properties were 500,000 each. You'd need to sell two of them first before the bank would then release the funding and say, yeah, we'll give you the money now. Wow. It's not a bad way to do it. (laughs) Beg your pardon? That's not a bad way to do it, though. Yeah, well, the the banks like it because it reduces their risk. And it it is a good risk reduction measure because it does demonstrate that there is market demand for what you're wanting to produce right 
Which right. I think is a bit different to how you do it in the US, right? I think a lot of don't you a lot of it's privately funded, so you have to yeah, it's, the money yourself. Well, that's that's one aspect, and and some of it's speculative as well. Um, some office can be built purely on speculation of uh, tenants. You know, it's it's not too far out there that they'll they'll build a an office building with. Um, just the shell and, and hope that tenants come in. Um, so yeah, and, and even multifamily here, um, in most places around here, it's, uh, based on speculation of the, uh, performa and, um, uh, you know, you have to cover a certain amount through your own equity, but, uh, after that point. Uh, the the bank will finance the construction loan. Hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of similar. Oh, that's interesting. It's it's pretty rigorous in Australia when you're getting bank funding. They'll go through all your sales contracts. They'll go through a building contract. They'll want a quantity surveyor's report to confirm the cost of the build. They'll want a valuation report to confirm the costs of the properties that you've sold them. Uh, yeah, to a very time-consuming and can be costly process. Yeah. Wow. Everything seems like it takes a while there. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And, and it is an ongoing issue um, because it just takes too long to get things to market. And I think that does put upward pressure on prices. Right. Definitely. But again, I don't want to get on that soapbox on your show, Matt. <laughs> That'll be for another show. We have a, we have like three or four already planned, I think. <laughs> uh, so what is uh, a common myth that you see uh, throughout, I guess, your experience and your discussions about property development? And how would you debunk that? That myth. Yeah, I think there's two. The first one is that it's a rich person's game. <laughs> and I say that not because you don't need money, because you do. You do need a lot of capital, but it doesn't have to be your capital. There's different <laughs> ways that you can raise the money to do a project. So I think that can hold people back that they think, well, I can't raise a million dollars or two million or five million or 200,000. But that's the wrong way to look at it. There's always ways of, of getting investment as long as you can demonstrate that you can make a return for people. So that's probably the first one. The second one is about this idea that it's easy. <laughs> and that's mainly for people who are outside the industry who sort of look in and just see buildings going up and read about gross sales figures. So, you know, it's a $50 million building or a $5 million project. And they think that's what the developer is walking away with. And they've got <laughs> no idea about everything that's been involved along the way and all the challenges that you've faced and the hurdles that you've had to overcome. Um, and, I, and it's particularly prevalent, I think, when the market's quite strong sure 
Um, but those sort of ideas tend to fade away when the market's a bit soft. And that's really when developers find out that it isn't easy. So that's probably one, probably a big myth, but that's more for people outside the industry than inside. Right. Right. And there's not a real good way to uh, debunk that myth unless uh, they sit in city council maybe and see, <laughs> and see no, what you're going the, through. Yeah, well, they put some skin in the game and put some money on the line and then try and work through all the, the challenges that get presented because very, very rarely is a project just straightforward from beginning to end. <laughs> right. It, would you, you say... In your experience don't know anyone that has oh no no even the small actually sometimes even the smaller ones are the worst ones it seems like it 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 really uh there's there's so much that goes into it um and so much of it is not necessarily outside of your control but um is you know most people don't really even consider and things pop up um, and that's that's where lessons learned come in so you don't get burned on the next one but uh, it's hard yeah, to in some ways the smaller ones are actually can be the most challenging because right. the budgets can be really tight mm-hmm. if anything comes along that upsets the apple cart it can really cause a big big issue to your bottom line that's a good point whereas on the bigger projects you've got a bit more room to to move things around you've got a bit more budget you've got a bigger contingency and you can absorb some of those challenges or some of those unforeseen issues that come along yeah yeah that that definitely plays a big part in why those those smaller ones they just seem to have stuff that (laughs) comes out of nowhere that um you know i just because most times you're trying to fit a lot in a in a little space, and uh, that that just warrants problems sometimes. So, how did you get over that myth? Uh, that for your first myth about uh, the rich man's game. Whenever you started, were so initially it was just planning on doing that smaller kind of four unit site, and I was going to basically self fund it so mm-hmm. borrow from the bank of chipping chip a fair chunk of equity to be able to then buy the property with help from the bank and then try and get an uplift in value and then use that equity that had been generated or created to then help fund the construction mm. yeah uh, but then once I thought that it would be better to go a little bit bigger I then wanted to bring in a partner to help share the costs and the risk right with the offset of that being the sharing of the profit so yes i brought someone in um, for that first project so there were just the two of us and then on my second project we decided that we needed some investors so we had a group of about four or five people that um we approached with a proposal and said here's what we're proposing and fortunately enough of them said yes to to be involved hmm. but they've had a yeah it's it's also important when you're 
trying to attract people in that you get the right people. You don't just want to take money off anyone that will give it to you or anyone <laughs> that you can convince because things happen along the way. And if you have people that are desperate for that money or desperately dependent upon you providing that return, that you, I think you'll find that you'll end up having issues with those people hassling you and just always wanting to know what you're doing and wanting to be really involved in the project. And I think that can cause you some hassles along the way as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Just and so, to and have then, and attracting, Yeah, that's right. But at, at attracting money and investment from people is really about getting clear on the value that you are going to bring to them. And I think that's where people can get, can come up short or developers who are trying to expand and looking to attract people. They don't get clear on the value that they're looking to give people and how they can solve problems and de-risk projects. Mm -hmm. And I think that if, because if you think about it from the outside looking in, that's what people want to know. Is their money right. going to be safe? Are they going to get it back? Right. Return of my capital. Those questions then, and overcome those objections, then people should feel confident to invest with you. Man, that's, that's like episode five we're on now. <laughs> yeah no i th i think um that's good there you go. now you know why i started the property developer podcast <laughs> there's so many aspects of developing that are really great to to talk about and to cover off right exactly so let's let's finish up with one more real quick and and, and then we'll let you get going i know it's uh, just starting out your day there so uh get you going so what is a day what does today look like? How about that uh, in the life of Justin right now? Uh, well, at the moment, today is probably not the ideal time to be asking me that because Melbourne <laughs> is in a, in a hardcore lockdown at the moment because of coronavirus. So we're actually not really allowed out of our houses at the moment. So <laughs> today is a pretty dull looking day, like every day for the last few weeks. But... <laughs> Generally speaking, again, it comes back to this idea about being the conductor of the orchestra. So I'll be talking to people, different people throughout the day to check on how things are progressing. So whether that's sales agents to check on how sales are going, providing them with any information they may need to answer queries that buyers may have talking to the builder about how the building project is going, whether they've got any issues on site, uh, whether there's anything I need to get involved with, talking to lenders, keeping them updated about how things are going, and talking, I like to talk to people just to ask them how they're seeing the industry, how they're finding the market right now, mm -hmm. what are they, what are they hearing? What are the lessons that they learned? Anything that can give you a bit of insight and intelligence about what's happening across the market at the moment. But generally speaking, it's about problem solving, Matt. What's the mm -hmm. problem that needs to be solved and who do I need to talk to to get that problem solved or how can I get that problem unstuck? 
Right. Definitely. Simplified version of your day. But <laughs> and then in between that, I'm out there riding my kangaroos and feeding the pet koalas. <laughs> just like, uh, just like I'm riding my uh, my cow into into work, um, or my horse, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, just where where can people find out more about you and your podcast? I know you're already on on the major networks, but uh, if you want to just kind of give us a little bit more how they can find you and and of course I'll include those links in uh in the description as well. Yeah, thanks Matt. Well, if people want to find out more about property developing, they can always tune in to my property developing podcast, which you can find at www propertydeveloperpodcast.com and yeah we talk to lots of different people about property developing and I think it's applicable no matter where you are in the Mm -hmm. world because there's similar issues and there's great lessons to be learned from the people that I talk to so go to the website you'll find all the links to past episodes and then you can also catch me on insta under property developer podcast and also on facebook as well under property developer podcast but insta is where i post a lot of videos about how my projects are going and also other funny things that catch my attention from time to time so there's a couple of places awesome Awesome. Well, thank you again for all your time, Justin. I'm going to let you get on with your day, uh, but I really appreciate your time you spent with us. Thanks, Matt. It's been great talking to you. I've enjoyed being the one having to do the talking for a change rather than the (laughs) one just asking the questions. So thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, glad you enjoyed it. We'll have to talk soon. All right. Thanks, Matt.